Goodbye, kids. Enjoy Children's Church. There's a lot of kids going out. We need to call for backup, so, you know, if somebody wants to... No, just kidding. <laughs> All right. We are still talking about the life of Jacob this month uh, in a series called Home Improvement. Uh, how do we improve family life, right? That's what we're talking about. Um, last Christmas, I was uh, in Peoria with, at my in-laws' house celebrating Christmas, and I had given my kids some gifts. We opened up all of our gifts in Illinois. Uh, I, I think I don't think we did any up here this time, but um, my kids received a few uh, Nintendo games for their their DS. I don't even know what DS stands for, but I do know it's this little thing that you can play. You know, it's handheld, right? Do you know what DS stands? I don't, I don't even know, but um, anyway, the games are like like this big. They're like this big. And uh, in the mad cleanup after Christmas, you're getting all the wrapping paper together, you know, and you're throwing it away. And, of course, there's a missing DS game. Now, they come in bigger packages than this, of course, but once you pull them out... You know, and if you get multiple ones, like we gave a, a couple, and they're like 25 sometimes $30 even, you know, for a game. And, and so my kids are playing different games, and they pull one out, and of course it just goes on the floor, right? That's what kids do. It just goes on the floor. And so as the wrapping paper gets all pulled up and, and thrown away, you know, uh, nothing's noticed until later when my kids say, where's that game? We want to play the game that you got us. We got these games, but what about this one, you know? And, and it's like, oh, no, what happened? So I'm kind of looking around. I'm looking at the box that it's supposed to be, and it's not there. Looking around the living room, it's not there. And suddenly it occurs to me, I know where it has to be. It has to be in the wrapping paper bag, you know, where all that went. So I'm thinking, you know, like, okay, um, I mean, this is like a day later, you know? So there's a bag full of wrapping paper, and I go through all of that, and then... It's not there, so I'm thinking, oh, it's probably in the garbage bag with all the leftovers from, you know, Christmas dinner and, and, you know, the fat that was trimmed away from from whatever we ate and, uh, you know, with all the good stuff in there, all that stuff mixed up in that garbage bag. So, um, So I had to dig through garbage looking for that. That wasn't me. That didn't happen, okay? (laughs) It didn't get that bad, okay? It wasn't that bad. Uh, But I did... I did dig through garbage, and, and, and I'm sorting through all this stuff, and, and, and you can smell the smells of a dinner that used to smell good and now doesn't smell so good. And, uh, and, and my hands are getting all, you know, wet, you know what I mean? And, and, and there's stuff that's chunky on them, and it's just, it's just wonderful. It's wonderful. And, I, and I'm digging through, and I'm like, this is great. And uh, at the very bottom of the bag... Here we go. <laughs> you know, I found it. I found it. So I pull it out, you know, and, 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 and it's like all wet and nasty and I wipe it off and it still works. But by the end of all that, it's like, should I be happy or should I just, it just, there's just this, you look at your hands and you're like, well, I succeeded, but this is so, so gross. And so I ended up feeling kind of like this, you know, that, that's what I feel like, you know, kind of like angry, like, why'd you kids leave the thing on the ground in the first place, you know, and, 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 and. But, but isn't that, and of course, you know, I do all this, and like any good pastor, I thought one day I will use this story in a sermon. It's going to stay right up here, and I'm going to use it one day. And here's the day, um, some however many months after Christmas. Uh, you know, 
not everybody in this room, but, but I'm guessing most, to some extent, feel like during the week you're wading through some garbage. You know? That the sins of other people, it could be the workplace and the way people talk. I was just talking to an old family of mine that I, that I love a lot from Watoma, and they were talking about their son who just got a new job in Oshkosh and, and just the stuff that was said to him on the first day. He's a young guy that got married way too early, you know. I did his wedding. And uh, they're like, why would you get married so young? It's ridiculous, you know. And he's, sexual purity is not even on their radar at all. Like, you're an idiot. Why wouldn't you just move in and enjoy life, you know. Um, and, 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 and I know that is a story for many people. It's like, it's garbage. And maybe they're members of your family that are not saved. And so even, even in your home, it's like, there's just this garbage that, that I have to go through. And then there's the temptations of the world that are right in your face, you know. And, and so it's possible that even in our own homes, it, it can feel like a dump. And it may never look like that. But I think we need to ask the question, how is the world and its garbage infiltrating my home? I would like to think that your home would be like a safe haven from the other stuff in the world and the, and the sins outside your door. I'm, I'm not trying to rag on people that don't know Christ, by the way. I mean, they don't know Christ and they don't know Christ. That, that's the end of the story and they need the light of the world. I mean, that, that's, the, that's, that's, that, right, that's that. But I mean, all of the stuff that comes with that can often make you feel like it's just a dump. And, and, and then you come to church, and, and sometimes I wish we had like a scanner, right? You know, like airports, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and I wish we could sometimes see what you've had to wade through that week as you were working for a paycheck. You know, like you've got to go to work, and you've got to wade through that stuff to get whatever you need to get because you need to live. And, and you don't want your family to break up. You're not going to leave family members that, that behind that are struggling with garbage, you know? If your kids are struggling in a certain area with substance abuse or whatever, you know, it's like you're, you, you still, there's still something good there that you want to preserve. And then it can just feel like you're just tainted by the end of it all. I'm concerned this morning uh, because I think it's easy to allow the world to infiltrate homes that God has intended to be holy. Holy homes. Set, set apart places where you can have a refuge from the world. You can go out and be a light and get some dirt on you because of what's around you and dig through some mud. But to, at the end of the day, to be able to be home and, and just to have that refuge from it. I mean, I think that's a good thing. So I want to talk about Jacob's life today and how the world infiltrated his home. Would you turn to Genesis chapter 34? Genesis chapter 34. There's also notes in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along that way. I'd recommend it. Genesis 34, first book of the Bible, 34th chapter. 
this is a tough story, okay? Uh, this is not a Sunday school story, but it's in the Bible for our instruction, and so we will look at it to be instructed. Uh, this is, in your notes, you have Jesus' prayer for us in John 17. Would you look at that in your notes, in the, in, in the handout you've got? It should be like this color. You can't miss it. Uh, John 17, 15, uh, Jesus says, My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them. That's make them holy by the truth. Your word is truth. So, so Jesus praying for us a few thousand years ago. Jesus prayed for us that, that we would not be um, of the world, you know, not, not that we would be the garbage ourselves, you know, and, and be doing these, these evil deeds and, and, and sinful things and, and the things that, that bring dirt into your life, but, but that we would be in the world, in it but not of it. And that's what Christian families have to deal with and wrestle with every day. How do I and my family be in the world as salt and light, but not let the world contaminate me and my family? We don't want to become that. We want to love other people so that they can see there's a better way than being of the world. Please let none of my garbage analogies ever carry over to the people you're thinking about right now that are in the, in the middle of the garbage because they are not the problem. Sin is the problem. And Jesus is the answer. Okay? Just, just make that clear. Okay. Um... So I preach with passion and conviction because Jesus says, yes, sorry, Jesus says, sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth. So, so if there's a way that we are going to live a holy life, a sanctified life, growing in Christ, uh, not being contaminated by the world, it, it's going to be because the word of truth has, has infiltrated our souls and we're working it out that way. That's why, that's why we teach the Bible every Sunday. You know, That's the way. It, it's, it's a sanctifying agent. So, here we go. Um, if you'd back up into, into chapter 33, verse uh, 18, uh, this is right after Jacob and Esau reconcile, although you might say in a negative sense, Esau says to Jacob, you know, how about you come back home with me? You know, we can be together a little bit longer. And Jacob says, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll be right along. I'll be right along, you know. And, and then Esau goes his way, and then Jacob takes off and keeps going. So there's a reconciliation, but the two brothers, they don't necessarily hang out and share old stories. Okay? Th- th- there's a separation still there. Now, verse 18, it says, <coughs> of chapter 33, After Jacob came from Padam Aram, he arrived safely in the city of Shechem in Canaan <coughs> and camped within sight of the city. I love the mention of safety there. Because, uh, of course, God promised to keep him safe. That goes back, you know. God says, I'm going to keep you safe on this journey. So God's keeping his promise. Just so we're clear there. Verse 19. For a hundred pieces of silver he bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. So he bought some land. He wants to settle there. There he set up an altar and called it El Elohei Ezrael. <clears throat> now, verse uh, chapter 34, verse 1. So we're setting the stage. Jacob has to choose. God told him to leave his uncle Laban and, and, and go back. And so he chose to settle outside a Canaanite city. These aren't his people. These are other people. This is the world. 
and he settles there outside the city. Verse 30, uh, chapter 34, verse 1. Now Dinah, daughter of Leah, the daughter Leah had born to Jacob, went out to visit the women of the land. When Shechem, which is also the name of the city, Shechem, son of Hamor the Hivite, the ruler of that area, this is the prince then, saw her, he took her and violated her. His heart was drawn to Dinah, daughter of Jacob, and he loved the girl and spoke tenderly to her. And Shechem said to his father Hamor, Get me this girl as a wife. Now, what I explained before we get anywhere else in the story, we should say what's going on here. Because this has caused uh, interpreters many problems trying to figure out what exactly happened. Because the Hebrew could be clear enough, but maybe it's not as clear as we would like it to be. Um, so you have uh, Prince Shechem. Prince Shechem sees Dinah. Dinah is the daughter of Jacob. It's one of Leah's daughters. Remember, he had two wives, Leah and, and Rachel. And this is one of Leah's daughters. And Dinah wants to visit with other ladies. It doesn't say she's a promiscuous woman. It doesn't say she's got ill intentions. It just says she wants to go into the city and, and, and meet some ladies and have a conversation. You know, like what we all want. We want relationships. And she's got all these brothers. And so, of course, you want to go in and meet some other women, you know, and talk. And so she goes in and, and Prince Shechem sees her. And it says here, he, he saw her, he took her, and he violated her. And you're supposed to read that in that rapid succession. There, there's a seeing, seizing, and violating. And, and, and the word that is hard to make out here is, well, is this rape or well, what is this? And, and literally, in Hebrew, it's, he, he saw her, he took her, lay with her, and it says he humbled her. He humbled her. And, and, and that causes a little bit of confusion because it's like, okay, does that mean this is by force? Does this mean it's a seduction? What, what's going on here? But I think, and, and looking at that word that he humbled, um, it's used in other places of rape. So I'm saying the grammar, that the, the word itself lends itself to a more violent act. Now, it causes a little extra confusion because in verse 3 it says, His heart was drawn to her, and he loved her and spoke tenderly to her. And so you say, you got this really bad guy who, who, who takes what he wants, and now he's talking nicely to her. You know, and like, what's that? He loves her? Could you, could you actually, and so I'm sure somebody wants to know, Niall, the word love there, that can't be the word love, right? There's got to be something else. It, it's the word love. It's the word love. In context, when you have a violation of a person, <laughs> might you translate that word with a little bit of a negative connotation? I think you could. And some scholars would argue we have enough leeway to see this more of lust. You know, desire. And let the context fill us in that this isn't the great kind of love that you should be modeling yourself after at all. But then it says he spoke tenderly to her. So, so I see either a, a prince who, um, who is maybe a little bit remorseful because he did something and, and now he wants to kind of woo her and so he's kind of comforting her and like, it's okay, I want to take you to be my wife. I, I hesitate to say that this is any sort of, uh, of, of real sort of love. But... but, but 
even if you would say this is a, this is a very abnormal violation where, where the violator is actually uh, somehow drawn in a real way to the person, I, I have a hard time saying that. I have a really hard time saying that. S- some scholars go that way, though. I think he's trying to comfort her because the end goal is he would like to marry her. Like, I'm an idiot. I should have been thinking about this, but I would like to spend my life with this person. So, however you want to regard that, uh, that, that's where people wrestle with this text. But I see a real violation here. You know, something very bad happened. And uh, the prince is trying to make up for what he's done. He wants to marry her. He says to his dad, get me this girl as my wife. So verse 5, right? Jacob heard that his daughter Dinah had been defiled. His sons were in the fields with his livestock. So... He did what every good dad would do. He kept quiet about it until they came home. Then Shechem's father, Hamor, came out to talk with Jacob. Now Jacob's sons had come in from the field as soon as they heard what had happened. They were filled with grief and fury because Shechem had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing that should not be done. But Hamor said to them, My son Shechem has his heart set on your daughter. Please give him to her as his wife. Intermarry with us. Give us your daughters. Take our daughters for yourselves. You can settle amongst us. The land is open to you. Live in it. Trade in it. Acquire property in it. What he's saying is, let's make our two peoples one people. The Israelites and us should become one big family. And of course, you know, it's like, (laughs) Jacob is rich. He's filthy rich. This is a very desirable proposition, you know. And Jacob would be able to have an in with other families. So this this is a good deal. Except for the fact that God's people shouldn't intermarry with the world. But, but, but they don't know that. Hamer doesn't know that. So, Shechem, uh, verse 11, said to Dinah's father, um, let me find favor in your eyes. I'll give you whatever you ask. Make the price for the bride and the gift I'm about to, about to, I'm about to bring as great as you like, and I'll pay whatever you ask me. Only give the girls my wife. Because her sister Dinah had been defiled, Jacob's sons replied deceitfully as they spoke to Shechem and his father Hamor, They said, we can't do such a thing. We can't give our sister to a man who's not circumcised. That'd be a disgrace to us. We'll give our consent to you on one condition only, that you become like us by circumcising all your males. Then we'll give our daughters and take your daughters for ourselves. But we'll settle among you and become one people with you. But if you do not agree to be circumcised, we'll take our sister and go. Now, I'll tell you how the story ends, although some of you have heard this story before, though maybe not in Sunday school. Um... They say, good deal. We can be circumcised. And I'm sure they've heard of other people groups that have done this, you know. And, of course, circumcision is a mark of a Jewish person, a Jewish male. That was the mark. And so, so they said, you can do this, and, and, and then, then we can get along. Let's do it. So, so they all become circumcised, all the males, to, to a certain age. And three days later, you've got two brothers of Dinah, who go in and kill all the men as they're healing. Kill all the men. Put them to the sword. And plunder. And plunder them. Take the riches. It's ugly. And then maybe even uglier is Jacob's reaction, if you look at the end of the chapter. Verse 30. I'll do 29. They carried off all their wealth and all their women and children, taking as plunder everything in their houses. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, who 
you know, Levi, who's going to be the, the tribe of priests, right? Um, You've brought trouble on me by making me a stench to the Canaanites and the Perizzites, the people living in this land. We are few in number, and if they join forces against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. But they replied, should we have treated our sister like a prostitute? Okay. We have one more section to read, just a few verses, but I'm going to wait there. Um, Let's talk about this for a few minutes. Um, Jacob made a decision to settle near Shechem. All of us have a decision to make. How close will we locate our families to the world? Number one, then, is choose your proximity. You choose your proximity. How close will my family be to the world around us? It doesn't say that God told Jacob, you've got to go right here and settle right here. It doesn't say that Jacob was walking along with his family. God was keeping them safe, as the scripture says. But God didn't say, stop, right there. He, he had a choice. He had a choice. Where are we going to go? Earlier he said he was going to go back to Bethel one day and go back to his father's house. Like he promised he was going to go back that far. He doesn't go that far. He goes to Shechem and says, we're going to stop right here and put down roots outside this great city of Canaanites. You have a choice. And some parents choose to homeschool their kids, you know. That's a choice to say, I'm going to limit the proximity of my kids to the world. And other parents say, I want my kids in the public school because they're salt and light. And I'm going to help them through it, and, and that's why they're there. But, but I'm saying, I don't judge those that do and don't judge those that don't. Because you as a parent have to make that decision with wisdom. Jacob said, we're going to put down roots right here. My choice. And the Bible doesn't condemn him for it, but you can see what happens. The closer you get, the closer you get, and you see what can happen. Um, When I was in uh, Watoma, I was looking for a house to buy once, and there was a house that came up for sale directly across the street from the church. Now, keep in mind, Washera Community Church is like on Highway 21 between Watoma and Oshkosh, and it's kind of like, in the country, you know, like you're driving like uh, 10 minutes outside of Watoma and you finally come to the church. So it's a major, inter- it's a major highway, so you can see it really well, but it's kind of out there a little bit. And there's only a few houses around it. And one of those houses is for sale. And, and so uh, the guy that owned it was talking to me and knew I was looking for a house and said, I got this house right across the street. You'd be really close. I thought, that's the problem. <laughs> um, because... I'm just worried. I mean, yeah, I know it's cool. I could walk to work. That'd be nice. But I also know that w- that being the only person like living right there, you know, that close, that if you need to get into the church and the church is locked, you can always just come to my house, right, you know, and ask me. Or, or if you had a problem with something, you can, you know, if the pastor's not in, you can just walk across the street and see me, you know. And so I- I'm weighing this, you know. This sounds terrible, right? But but this is just reality, you know. I mean, there, there, there's ministry life, and then there's my family life, and i got, I got to have a good, healthy family life. And so I'm weighing these things. Should I live across the street or not? And what will that do? I decided not to buy the house. Um, somebody else from the church did, and I don't know how that went with them. I, I, I don't know. Chris will have to tell me later, like, if she ever heard that they were, you know, go knock on their door, right, you know, and, and get the key or, go, you know, get help or whatever. But um, I, I think they like it just fine, though. 
but, but I was trying to keep good boundaries. Because I know the closer I get has ramifications for my family. Be they good or bad, there is ramifications for how close you get. If I go, if, if I go to the zoo, I don't necessarily want to be in the lion cage. You know, I can look at them from afar, you know. Um, so, the world is the world. And there's sin. And there's pain. And hurt. And suffering. And, and people can bring their dirt and, and they can get you dirty too. It's happened to us. We have pain from being in proximity. You know? Because of choices I made, you know, there's things that I wish didn't happen that happened. You know, that's the way things are. But at the end of the day, you better be praying, oh God, give me wisdom to know how close we should be to the world. Because Christ does not want me to pull myself out of it. We're not going to start our own little compound and I'll get in there, you know, and, and, and try to do some sort of cultish sort of thing. Like, that's not what God has called us to, you know? He wants us to infiltrate the world, but as families, we've got to choose how close is healthy for us. What's good for my kids? What's not good for my kids? What's good for me? How strong am I? Please consider wisely the answer to that question, knowing, knowing that even if you choose to dwell close, I mean, my kids are in public schools. I love the schools here, by the way. I think they're great. I'm not comparing them to an inner city school with the same uh, stuff going on there. I would not do that. But, but knowing that at the very least, my kids get to rub shoulders with kids that have big issues. And you know that. And I've chosen that. So I cannot be surprised if they come home and say something to me about the world. Proximity. It's your choice. If you choose to homeschool, if you choose to be withdrawn a little more. I don't hold that against you. But try to pull yourself out of the world and I say, is that what Christ really wants for you? You're salt and light. Okay. There's the first question. There's the first question. Uh, Secondly, secondly, we've got to coach our kids. We've got to coach our kids. Jacob in verse 5, here's what's happened to his daughter. And you know what bothers me? You all know the story of Joseph, right? Joseph, amazing coat, you know, coat of many colors. And, and the brothers are jealous of Joseph. I mean, Joseph is Jacob's kid. And Jacob favors Joseph, the idiot, you know, and it gives him this beautiful coat. And the brothers get jealous of him. And Joseph, I got some good dreams. I'm gonna, you're going to bow down to me. And, and, and so the brothers try to get rid of him. They sell him into slavery, bring his coat back, dipped in animal blood, and say, he died. You know, an animal got him. We're sorry, Dad. And, and it says Jacob was grieving, you know. His heart's broken. I don't read that in this story. Isn't that shocking? I don't read Jacob is heartbroken here. What I read is Jacob is silent. And then later... You know, after after the two deceitful brothers, who apparently even dad didn't know what they were really thinking, you know, the two brothers say, oh yeah, you want to be part of us, get circumcised, we can become one family, it's all good, we'll intermarry, it's all good. And then deceitfully, where'd they learn that from, right? Deceitfully, like father, like son, they end up 
killing all those people. And then Jacob says, now Jacob's troubled. Remember at the end of that, end of the, uh, chapter 34? He said, uh, you know, you brought trouble on me, verse 30, by making me a stench to the Canaanites and the Perizzites. You know, it's like they, they could kill us now. Look what you've done, kids. Ought you, uh, shouldn't you have been angry about your daughter, though? And the brothers, of course, are saying, yeah, we were mad because he shouldn't have done that to, to, to our sister. It was wrong. You can't treat a woman like that. Jacob is silent. And some scholars suggest that uh, in that culture, the brothers had a say in the marrying of a sister. You know? So that, it's not that that was weird, but the weirdness is Jacob just didn't say anything until the whole thing is over and all blows up. Coach your kids. That's the point. Coach your kids. Know that they are going through things that are difficult, that they are wading through the garbage of the world, and it may look a little different than when you were wading through the garbage of the world, but, but whatever, you, you've got to speak into their life. We have coaches in this room today, and, and you know better than most, that when you coach kids on your team, what you're doing is you want to teach them the fundamentals, the basics, you always have to start there. But then out from there, you're teaching them some of the, the more developed technical skills of the sport. Most coaches don't say, I don't know of any coaches that say, here's a soccer ball, you'll figure it out. And yet, some of us parents, that's exactly what we expect. You'll figure it out. like every life, Just like I figured it out in life. I just went through it and it all came together. That is so far from what God has for us as parents. Parents are like coaches. They have expert knowledge. And even though kids think they know everything, I get it. I I was a teenager too. And I thought I knew everything. And dad, my dad tried to talk to me about dating. And it was like, dad, no, I know, I know. But you better believe when dating didn't go well, I knew that I had to call my dad. And my dad met with me and talked with me, you know. Even though I tried to blow him off, and I think I probably, I probably wasn't right of me trying to act like I know better and, Dad, your vice isn't as good as you think it is. I didn't say that, but I acted like it. Um, I needed him to speak to me because he knew more than I knew, even if I didn't get it at the time. Don't give up on the coaching. Don't be silent when you see your kids heading a certain direction. Speak up. Be the coach that they need. And even if you messed it all up, you know, you think, you know, well, drug use, I messed that up. Alcohol abuse, I messed that up. <laughs> Who am I to speak into this? Well, you're the expert now, you know. You're the expert. And if you've got to tell a, a, a story and, and be honest and not hypocritical, you know, if you've got to go there, you've got to go there. Maybe you need to weigh that. Should my kid hear that or not? But you have to speak. You have to speak. Because I see way too many, um, Andrew, here's your forewarning. You know, one day you're, you're going to be on the Internet and you're going to see on Facebook or whatever it's going to be in 10 years, you know, whatever we're going to have at that point, and you're going to see kids that you try to disciple and they're going to be like off the deep end. And you're going to see, uh, you're going to see party atmosphere in their pictures they post you're going to see the drug paraphernalia in the background, and you're going to go, what happened? 
to that sweet person that seemed like they were getting it and understanding it. What happened to their love for the Lord? Um, that's what you're going to see for some kids. And as parents, some of you have already felt that and experienced it. You know exactly what I'm saying. And it just hurts even to say it like that. And I'm sorry. I'm not blaming your coaching, by the way, at all. Because every kid has their own free will. At the end of the day, you get to choose. When you go out, you go out, you choose. But for those that are still in the mix of it, keep coaching. Keep speaking. Don't be Jacob. You know, Jacob's a deceiver, and as I implied earlier, his sons also picked that up from dad, right? And they deceived. Just become like us. Get circumcised, you know? But didn't they take it to the next level? For those of you that feel guilty over your past sins, maybe one way to shake yourself out of that funk, you know, because we all kind of carry some guilt from that, you know. Maybe we shouldn't, but a lot of us do. Maybe to shake yourself out of that, you tell yourself, do I want my kids to take my sin to the next level? Because that is very much where they could go. For me, it was deceit, and I stole a birthright. For my kids, it's deceit, and they killed people to steal their wealth. Jacob knows all about stealing wealth and stealing things, but not through murder. Okay. Um, the story ends on a high note. Isn't that the best way to end any message? Here we are. Um, Verse 30, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 35, verse 1. God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there. That's where God met him earlier. Build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid of your foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let's go to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all their foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Then they set out, and the terror of God fell on the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. There's still God's protection on them. And Jacob speaks up. And as a godly man should, tells them to get rid of their idols. Which again is shocking because it's like, Jacob, like you met with God. You wrestled with God. You know he is with you. You get it. And yet you didn't have the, 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 the leadership to tell your family to get rid of their other gods. You allowed that worship, the mixing of pagan gods and the true God to go together. Like what is that? But at least here, before he goes to Bethel, where he met with the Lord and he saw the angels ascending and descending, at least here he says, it's time to get rid of them or we're going to bury it all. Some commentators who are pessimistic say, he should have destroyed it, right? Why did he bury it? Are they going to come back later and get it? I, I happen to be more optimistic than that. That's just me. Uh, you do with what you want with that. But he buried it. And they went back to Bethel to meet with the Lord and sacrifice to him. Lastly, number three then is clean your house. Clean your house. Um, Jacob cleaned house on that day. We're getting rid of the idols. We're getting rid of things that are in the way. And so I tell you, 
will you look to see the idols that have crept into your home? Would you look for the sources of the world that you or your kids have access to? Maybe it's the music that's being played. Maybe it's the shows that you're watching on your TV. Maybe it's the movies that you're renting and allowing to fill your mind and you know this is garbage. And yet it's entertaining in some way. Um, the day that my son, you know, brings home his computer, you know, that the school gives him, it's like, I need to have a talk <laughs> with him. I need to think about, because I know they have computers at school. There's internet uh, uh, filters at school. And I know it's on parents when they get home, you know, what their kids do on there. How many, ki- how many parents, though, are actually supervising that? How many parents are alarmed that my, my, my kid can get on here if I give them a password and they can do whatever they want? How many parents don't care about that? I, I talked to the guys and I'm a guy in high school that said, I can access anything I want. My parents could care less. I talked to a young man who told me that his battle for lust began at his grandparents' house. His grandparents who love the Lord, faithful in church attendance, and speak of the Lord all the time. And he said, I was staying at my grandparents' house as a a young guy, and they subscribed to Sports Illustrated, and there's a swimsuit issue, and they had it in their magazine rack. And that's what I accessed for the first time and saw pornography. And you say, well, maybe the grandparents just didn't realize and it came in the mail and they just threw. I don't know why that was there, but I know what it introduced for him. Um, And so every time I hear another young person come forward and say, I'm dealing with it, my heart grieves. And when I go on youth group trips like I used to and kids have their electronics or tablets, phones, iPods and they, we're, we're like in a certain restaurant or a certain location they say, oh, they have internet access here and they, they connect, you know, I'm thinking, did the parents even know you're connecting? Do they know where you're going? Average age of first exposure to internet pornography is 11 years old. Average age. Um, Are we looking in our homes to see how the world is infiltrating our hearts? And for some of you, it's infiltrated your heart. So I know I'm not talking about your kids. I'm talking to you. I know I'm talking to some of you. I feel the quietness in the room right now. Um, Forgive me for the awkwardness, but I know I'm talking to some of you. And some of you would say, My love for the Lord has grown cold because of what I'm doing. And that that just kills me. It breaks my heart. Let me break the awkwardness for a moment. Would you you take out your um, your, your notes if you didn't pull them out or your bulletin? Would you just just humor me for a second and write the numbers 1 through 5 on your bulletin or on your... uh, on your notes. And 
lighten the mood for a second and off of the heavy lust thing. Would you, one through five, would you write like the five things you really love right now about life? You, but but, but my, my, my warning is you can't put God or Jesus or anything spiritual on there. Leave that off for a moment. Just one through five, what are the things you love? If you need more direction than that, think about Friday. What do you love about Friday? Maybe that'll help you think. What do I really love right now in my life? Good things. Good things. Five things. When you're done, you can look at your list. If you were to rank where your love for the Lord, how it comes into that ranking, where would you put it? right now, amongst all those good things that you have in your life that you love, where does the Lord come into that list? Where would you insert him? You don't have to do it physically, by the way, if you don't want to. Someone might be looking over your shoulder. (laughs) P.O.S., as they say online. How many of you have no idea what that means? (laughs) P.O.S. is uh, what your kid types when you're looking over their shoulder. It's parent over shoulder. Oh, <laughs> okay, all right, all right. <laughs> Sorry. Um, did you like that? <laughs> Parent over shoulder. Now that they come up with something else, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. Um, where do you put God in that list? Because let's be honest, there's a lot of things that we love that are good things. But if my kid grows up and goes into the world and doesn't have a a love for the Lord, he can love a lot of other things. She can love a lot of other things. She can love the the, the being in the Northwoods and being in the woods or hunting or sports. My kids love sports. You can love academics and be brilliant. And you can go off and get an advanced degree and, and, and be so full of your own smarts, but not love the Lord. And then I feel like it's just a loss. You can be the best at what you can be in whatever sport and train as hard as you want to train and have the best coaches, but you don't love the Lord and it's a loss. It's become nothing but an idol, right? And so, you know, it's like we, we could say, well, then we've got to set up lots of rules, you know, and we'll, we'll, we'll draw from sports and withdraw, 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 you know. And I'm not saying that's the answer. I'm just saying, I'm just saying how do we encourage our kids to love the Lord? To love Him. How do we do that? Because any of those things can be rival idols, gods, good things, but they just weaken our love for the Lord. Now, back to the lust issue, because we, I know it's something that we don't talk about, so I want to make sure we're talking about it here. It's like the elephant in the room, you know, that we don't want to discuss. If that is you, 
would you die to yourself? Begin to love your Savior well and reject that. Satan is so tricky. I've sat down with guys and, and, and they've said to me, I want to be free. I say, I got it. There's a website, xxxchurch.com. They've got free accountability software. You download that thing on your computer, and I have it on mine. It sends an email to, to whoever you choose to send the email to once a month or every two weeks, and it shows the questionable sites you visited. That's heavy. That's accountability. And I'll never forget the guy say to me who wanted to be free, well, I, I heard that program slows down my computer. It doesn't. It's, if you look at how many uh, megabytes it is, it's a, it's a, it's a tiny little nothing. I, I bet your internet browser is a lot bigger in, in how many megabytes that is than this little thing that's going to run in the background. I mean, just logically speaking here. By the way, do you know what the internet is? Do you know what the internet actually is? It's not a cloud. It's not a cloud. Uh, can we get the definition of internet? The Internet is a global system of interconnected computer networks that use the standard Internet protocol suite, TCP, IP, to serve several billion users worldwide. Or you could say the Internet is like a cable. It connects your computer to uh, through other, other uh, ways and means, which I'm not going to get into this morning. It's like a cable that connects your computer to a server that has websites on the server. It's like connecting your computer to someone else's computer. If... If I knew that someone wished to entice my children and tempt them and, and, and try to ruin them in some way, I'd put up boundaries and protections, right? And all the Internet is is a cable reaching from my kids to somebody else. I mean, I wouldn't say, come on into my house and eat dinner with me, and, 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 and I know you want to show my kids things. I want, I, want, I, want you to, I want them to see that stuff, you know. I, that would be like the last thing. But that's what the Internet is. It's, just a, it's not a cloud, you know, floating here and there. It's a cable connecting you to something else. That's what it is. And so I would never keep, I would never keep an a inappropriate magazine on my coffee table or anywhere else. I never, but I'd never keep it right there. Not that I keep it at all. But I wouldn't keep it there because anybody would walk by and say, just pick it up and I can flip it open. Are you thinking this through? Are there filters on your computers? Are there boundaries? And if it's a boundary you need, would you start, I'm going to ask you, would you start to grieve over the fact that your love has grown so cold because of what you've allowed into your heart? Would you start to grieve over that? I know maybe you can't change like right now, but would you start to grieve over it? And pursue God in his word. Pray. Seek help. Now, my end of my sermon is here. I wanted to deliver the, uh, the coup de grace, you know, and, and really hit it home, you know. And maybe that's where you feel like I'm going. I'll have to really hammer it in. But I'll leave you with this. Uh, Micah, can we get the Micah verse up? If you are the one struggling with this, this is your verse to memorize. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. And though I sit in darkness, the Lord, 
Adonai, Yahweh, will be my light. Because I've sinned against him, I will bear Adonai's wrath. Until he pleads my case, establishes my right, he will bring me out into the light and I will see his righteousness. Oh, there's some discipline there. But then you see that God himself, who has the discipline, the anger, he, he, actually, he actually comes over here and says, now I want to be your defense attorney. And he, he pleads your case because Jesus paid for your sin. And he says, that one is righteous. That one is holy. I know what he did the other day. But that one is righteous and not guilty because I died for him. Micah. Man. Micah 7, 8, and 9. That is your verse, you that struggle. Because no one here is gloating over you. That's what Satan tries to do. You will stand. You will rise. And your heart will begin to burn for the Lord. I feel like, I feel like after the service, um, if, if you're hearing all this, by the way, please, whatever you do, whatever you do, handle your children with grace and truth, please. Because the worst thing is for you to go home and say, we're getting rid of everything and we're going to, you little, you know, <laughs> shame. <laughs> oh, don't do that. Don't do that. Come to your children like a compassionate mother or father. Gather them and nurture them and say. And if they, if they have to say to you, I am struggling with this, would you hear it without that vein popping out? Would you hear it with compassion? Would you think about the worst thing you've ever done? And, and get that mindset as you speak. Grace and truth, would you handle your children with grace and truth so that they know they can approach you and tell you things that are hard to say? Otherwise, they just won't tell you. And would you please help your kids be able to live in the world, but not of it? My parents didn't let me have internet growing up, you know, but I've chosen it in my house with filters and boundaries. I've set up boundaries because I want my kids to know how do, how, do you, how do you live in this but not give in? You choose your boundary in proximity. But that's the way I've tried to work it out in mine. Good internet software, boundaries. Rules on music, boundaries. Rules on TV, boundaries. Um, so if you're here and you're like, man, do I need to make some changes in how my family thing goes? I'd just like to pray for you now and maybe even afterwards. Uh, at 1045, ministry leaders, I want to meet with you over here. And 1045 for um, cross-training for everybody else that wants to talk about this. We're still going to talk about it. Uh, Mr. Bob Warner is going to be leading that conversation over here. Um, but if you just need prayer right now for your family, like, like if you say, I just need, we need to make some changes. I need wisdom. I need help. I need restoration. Whatever. Or you're just grieving because you know your kids are so far away from loving God. I'd like to pray for you for any of that stuff. If there's any elders in here this morning, there's a few of us elders here. Um, I'm just going to say for 15 minutes after the service over here, 
I'm going to close those curtains a little bit. If you just want prayer for your family, you've got some decisions to make today. I just want to pray for you. And if no one comes in there, that's fine. I'll pray for you now. I want my kids to love the Lord. I want your kids to love the Lord. I want you to love the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, um, who knows the kind of spiritual passion we might have in our heart if we were to say no to the garbage of the world. So I pray that you would help us grieve, repent in a godly, sorrowful way to see the height from which we've fallen. Not because we know we're going to hell, because, I mean, we know we know that we know the Savior, we're forgiven, unless we fooled ourselves, and we don't really know you the way we think we do. I mean, there's that too. But for those of us that know you, and yet we've been walking in some rebellion against you, would you help us and meet with us? Help us love you well. For those families that say, man, I need to start looking at some things we allow into our home, would you fill them with your wisdom so that they can work this out and figure out how to live in a way that honors you? For families that say, we've protected ourselves from the world, but these idols keep cropping up, these other loves. We love stuff more than you. We love fun more than you. We love sports more than you. We love whatever. Good things you've given us to enjoy, and yet we've elevated them. Help those families also navigate those idols. Help them understand how to bury them. It's not easy, but with you, all things are possible. For those that know they need prayer this morning, I pray that they would come and receive prayer for whatever reason, whatever you're doing in their heart. Maybe they just need to step up more like Jacob finally did and speak. (sighs) Help us, God. For the rest of us that feel like they've been fighting this fight and they've they've seen your hand and today there's lots of praise on their lips because they're living in victory. May we celebrate the victory you give us in Christ Jesus. May we go with your praise on our lips. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord